Well, I'm so honored to be here today. And if you're new with us, uh, last week we kicked off a new conversation. We're talking about what we've dealt with for the last couple years. Let's be honest, all of us have dealt with massive disruption in our lives. You think about everything we've gone through from 2020, 2021, what we've seen is that our lives have been so disrupted, not only by the pandemic, by the political things and all the divisiveness that's been going on, the supply chain, the inflation. But the reality is, is that all of us, as we're kind of enduring in this season, most of us have been just literally saying to ourselves, I can't wait until we get back to normal. But I'm standing here today starting to wonder, what if disruption is the new normal? What what if we're like, you know, because so many of us were like, okay, are we pushing past this pandemic and now we have forecasters and we have economists who are saying that we could be headed for one of the worst recessions economically that we've had in a really long time. And, and so I thought, man, maybe it's really important for us to pause as a community. I didn't even have this series on my radar. And let's talk about what it takes to make it through a disrupted season in life. Because here's what I know, regardless of just these last few years, all of us will go through disruption in life. All of us will be going along and then all of a sudden we'll get a phone call that will just disrupt everything. We can all be going through life when all of a sudden company makes cutbacks and we find ourselves out of a job. We can be going through life when all of a sudden one little checkup at the doctor's office and now we've got some news that we never anticipated in life. So I want to talk about how do we as a Christ follower, how do we not just survive, but how do we actually thrive through seasons of disruption? Now today... I want to talk about something that I think is a little bit missing. I want to talk about the one tangible thing that I believe we all need in order to make it through these seasons of disruptions, however long it might be. I want to talk about something that might even be a little bit missing when I look at the spiritual climate of of the people today in our country. And that is I want to talk about resilience. I want to talk about resilience. Y'all say that word with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Resilience. I want to talk about resilience because when I look around at our country today and I think about all of the comforts and the conveniences that we have today, sometimes I think here in America, we're getting soft. Like, how do you think about it, okay? Like, today you can sit in your house in your pajamas without even getting out of the recliner and on your phone you can order lunch to be delivered to your house and somebody will drive it and stick it on your front doorstep and you don't even have to see them that just leave it there for you i mean life is good right now but i wonder if it's making us also a little soft like here's what i've discovered every generation thinks the one coming up after them is soft. Have you ever noticed that? Here's how you know you're getting old. When you start saying things like, well, back in my day, the moment you say that, check yourself, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. The moment you start saying, well, these kids these days, they got it so easy. That's when you know you're getting old. I remember back in my day when we had to take road trips in the summer Okay, we didn't just get on an airplane and fly somewhere. We took road trips back in my day. 
taking a road trip. We didn't have third row seating in our vehicle. Three of us smashed into the back seat together, and we didn't have Wi-Fi on our phones. We couldn't just use cellular so we could just stream YouTube the whole time with our wireless AirPods in. No, we only had a Walkman with cassette tapes. And you would listen to the good side, side A, but when it was done, you had to just suffer through side B or hit fast forward so you could get back. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And half of the time, I felt like our air conditioning didn't even work. And my dad didn't care that much. He'd say, we got 55 air. Roll the windows down. (laughs) Y'all remember what it was like? See, with, with every generation as we get older and... We look at the next generation and we think we're, get, we're getting soft. And if I could just say, you know, when I think about all the conveniences and the comfort and the things that we have today, I just, I wonder if we're getting soft. I, I'm not just talking in, in that regard, but I, I even mean like with our faith. See, perhaps we need to ditch the gloves. Ditch the gloves. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. About a couple decades ago, I decided I was going to get serious about my health. And so I joined the gym and I... I went there and I started working out. And I found out I love working out with weights. And uh, so I was working out at the gym and I had these gloves, these workout gloves. You know, they got good wrist support and everything. They're cut off right here. And I, I was working out and then I started working out. I met some guys there, these like beefcake dudes, these like no neck, kind of like ripped up dudes. You know what I mean? And, and we got to be friends and we started working out together. And I remember one time one of them said to me, he said, you don't need those. I was like, what? What do you mean? The bar hurts. <laughs> Only people that work out know what I'm talking about. The dumbbells, they dig into you. Hey, he's like, you don't need those. I said, you need to ditch the gloves. I'm, really? He was like, that's embarrassing, man. You don't need them gloves. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, I don't need them. And so I started working out without gloves. And when I worked out without gloves, it hurt. Let me just tell you, it's just, I started getting blisters right here. I want you everybody just take your hand right now. Just hold your hand up and start feeling right along the top of your palm. Just start feeling it right now. Is it as smooth as a baby's behind right now? That's because you don't work out without gloves. See, mine's hard because I, I started developing calluses. I started to, skin started to get real hard and tough right now. And so I, you just need to know this about your pastor. He don't work out in workout gloves. That's embarrassing. If you're doing it, you need to stop it in the name of Jesus. I, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Take them gloves off. Here, here's what I want you to know because it's not just about our hands I'm talking about. I'm talking about our faith today. And what I've discovered is this. In times of disruption, our faith either develops calluses or it becomes calloused. Let me say that again for those of you that are going to write it down like all the teenagers were doing when they went to Passion Camp Experiences with their Bibles and they're writing down notes because they believe God's going to speak to them. In in disruption, times of disruption, listen, this is about your faith. Your faith will either develop calluses or it becomes calloused. Say, aren't those the same? Nope, they're different. See, calluses are the things that, it's it's the, the part that gets tough and The part of you that gets gritty and the part of you that can withstand pain because it's been through it before. But calloused is when you become jaded towards something. 
And what I, what I, I'll be honest, what I've seen is that when we go through disruption like we have the last couple of years, and we may continue to go through, and when you go through tragedy, and when you go through pain, and when you go through hardship, let me tell you what it'll do. Either your faith will develop calluses, resilience, or we begin to be jaded toward life or maybe even toward God. I don't know about you, but I want to build calluses. I don't want to be callous toward God. And so I want to talk about how do we find resilience in our faith? How do we develop calluses for our faith? If you've got a Bible with you today, I want to share a story with you from 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to share with you a story of a guy named Elijah. How many have ever heard of Elijah? Raise your hand if you've heard of Elijah. I think a lot of you probably if you've been in church have heard. He's a prophet from the Old Testament that we first are introduced to him in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now we don't have time, and, but I need to give you a little bit of the backstory before we jump into chapter 19 because it won't make sense. When we first meet Elijah, he's a prophet, and God spoke to him and said, I want you to confront the king of Israel. His name was Ahab. And I want you to go and speak a word on my behalf. Now, God was going to bring discipline to the nation of Israel. The king and the queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, led the nation away from worshiping God. Probably because, probably because Ahab married Jezebel, who was a foreigner, and she came and introduced the idea of worshiping Baal. And she had all these prophets and priests that she put in place. And the nation of Israel began to worship other false gods. And God was like, I'm not going to handle this. I can't take this. So he brings discipline. And so Elijah approaches the king and says, God has said that it's not going to rain. There's going to be no water, no dew, until you hear from me again. And for the next three and a half years, it did not rain and there was no dew in the land. You want to talk about disruption for a moment. I know it's been difficult, you know, we struggle trying to get toilet paper, we struggle trying to get baby foil, we struggle with, I mean, there's been a lot of disruption over the last couple of years, I understand that. But could you imagine in an agricultural environment, society, three and a half years of no crops, no food, water supply drying up, we're talking about massive casualties, not just human life, but animals, livestock, massive casualty was going on. And so the, the, whole, the whole world at that time was massively disrupted by this. And eventually God in his mercy sent Elijah back to confront the king. But before he did that, he was going to address their idolatry. And so Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, he challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel where they, they're going to put a, a, an offering on an altar. You call on your gods, I'll call on my God, whichever answers by fire. We'll agree that's the one true God. And so 450 prophets of Baal, they're over there chanting and doing all this, and God, their God doesn't respond. Then Elijah prays one little simple prayer, and God sends fire from heaven that consumes it. And because of their law back then, if you were proven to be a false prophet, that you were killed, Elijah, according to the law, had all 450 of those false prophets put to death. Then after that, he prays to God that they would rain, and without a cloud in the sky, God ends up sending a torrential downpour and brings water to the land. Now you would think, okay, this is the most significant moment of Elijah's life. You want to talk about being in a spiritual high. You just, you just took on 450 and you won. You prayed a simple prayer, and God sent fire from heaven. I mean, you've never looked better in your life. You said there was going to be rain, you pray, and rain came. I mean, never been better. And then this happens in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 1. It says, when Ahab got home, 
He told Jezebel, that was his wife, the queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone, went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Now, I've often been puzzled by this moment, to be honest. I mean, here's probably one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament that just had the greatest victories you could ever imagine. Literally, the words that he spoke came true. Miracles, fire from heaven, all this. I mean, he should have been riding high. This should have been the, the most exciting time of his life. And then he gets one threat from the queen, not the king. He already confronted the king face to face. He already went against 450 prophets. Okay? He already did the scary part. He gets one threat, and it's not even the queen herself. She sends a servant to threaten him. And, and even her threat, imagine how, how empty her threat May the gods strike me down. Oh, you know your prophets, they prayed to your gods and he couldn't send fire. How in the world is he going to strike you down? May the gods strike me down if you're not dead. If I don't make your life like that of one of theirs by this time tomorrow. And it says that he ran. It says he was afraid and he ran. See, I, I've always been puzzled. Like, Elijah, how can you confront the king and how can you deal with all of this? And yet... In fear because of one threat from the queen, not even the king. You're going to run and you're going to... See, I, actually as I process this, I understand he was afraid and he ran. But if I could tell you, I actually think it was more than just fear of Queen Jezebel. I actually think that what we're looking at is someone after three and a half years of, of disruption, three and a half years of enduring a drought, three and a half years... Of, of going through all of that, what I think we're actually looking at is someone who's at the end of his rope. We're actually looking at someone who's at the end of his reserves. He's so worn out, he's so tired, that all it takes is one simple threat, and the queen's not even there in front of him. And it seems like that is the one straw that breaks the camel's back. You ever heard that phrase? The straw that breaks the camel's back. You know camels are incredibly resilient creatures. Camels are these amazing animals of the desert that can, they can carry large amounts, that can carry heavy loads in the desert. As camels travel through the desert, they can go hundreds of miles without even taking a drink. They can handle intense heat. Because of what is stored in their hump. And some of you might go, oh, they store water in their hump. They actually don't. It's not water, it's fat. It's because God designed them to be able to handle, to endure the desert climates. And as their body breaks down the fat, that it actually turns into the nutrients that their bodies need to be able to keep going. Now here's something fascinating I learned about camels in a book I've been reading called Resilient by John Eldridge. He talks about camels and how camels can travel days and sometimes weeks. Camels can outlast their human riders. 
The camels can go hundreds of miles without showing any sign of weakness. Camels will just keep going. They just, they can carry a heavy load and you will have no idea that they are get the end of their reserves. And then all of a sudden one day camels, when they reach the end of their reserves and they have no more left, guess what they do? They drop down to their knees and they die. They give no indication that they're in the end of their reserves. They just, one day they just, they just die. I was thinking to myself, Isn't that a picture of what it looks like for so many people? Let's be honest, many of you feel like you've been carrying a heavy load for the last couple of years. And when you're you're a mom and when you're a dad and when you're a leader and when you're a manager, you, you just keep going because you have to go. When you're living in disruption, it doesn't matter. You still got to get up and go to work, and you still got to parent, and you still got to do it. And so many of us, I believe, have been like camels where we've been just wandering. We're, we're just pushing through and making it. And if I could be honest with us, let's, let's just recognize something. Before the pandemic hit, when we asked and people surveyed, how are you feeling? Do you know what most people said before the pandemic? We said, we're tired. We're worn out, we have no margin, we're exhausted, we're depleted. We said that before the pandemic. Then massive disruption hit. And we've had to keep going. And when you get to a point where we're like, oh, are we getting through it finally? And then we have economists saying, no, we might just have even worse ahead of us. And I wonder how many of us, now I'm not talking about your physical life. I'm wondering how many of us spiritually, like camels, that we're, we're, we're just plowing along, but we're going to get to a point where we're just going to, like Elijah, just give up. See, this is a real concern that I have as a pastor. Because what I've seen over the past couple of years is I have seen a massive falling away of people who, like Elijah, they said, I've had enough. I can't go on. I can't. Yeah, you might get up and go to your job the next day because you've got to provide. You've got to put food on the table. and you got to. But I wonder how many people spiritually have gotten to the end of their reserves and they just can't go any further. You know, they've been talking about through this pandemic that there's this massive resignation. They call it the great resignation. Have you heard of that? That all these people are, are resigning. We have a whole generation of people that were still working but maybe didn't need to work. That just said, I'm not dealing with all of this. And we have a massive shortage of employees. We've got a massive shortage of healthcare workers. We've got a massive shortage. We've got teachers. We've got a great resignation going on. Do you know what I've seen and from my seat is that there's also been a great resignation of faith. Not just me, but as I talk to all my pastor friends around the country, you know, I discover is that we also, we saw hundreds and thousands of people just decide, I'm done. God didn't come through for me. I can't handle this anymore. I've tried, but it's not working. I'm just done. We've seen a a massive falling away. Can I tell you a, a thought today that I think we need to know? And that is this, that a disrupted life will eventually lead to a depleted life. We're, we're living in disruption. I understand that. 
And you may already know this, but if not, please hear this today. That I really believe that a disrupted life will eventually lead to a depleted life. That when we keep going through difficulty after difficulty, and it might not have been these two years, some of you might, be, might have gone through disruption for years before this. Disruption in your family, disruption in your marriage, disruption with your health. It eventually leads to a depleted life. And so I just, I wanted to ask you a question today. And I don't want you to say it out loud. I want you to, I want you to process this internally. But it's just a simple question for you today. And that is this. How would you rate your faith right now? On a scale of zero to 10, how would you rate? Zero, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I just don't know that I can take much more. I'm really starting to question whether or not God is real. I, I feel emotionally beat down. I feel spiritually tired. Or you 10, hey, life couldn't be better and I'm closer to God than I've ever been. How would you rate your faith right now? What, what number would that be? in your mind because a lot of us going through disruption it's it's caused a depletion of our faith here's Elijah who's I believe at the end of his reserves and he just wants to die I mean God just did the greatest things ever in his life and it didn't matter it's over I'm done and I love the way God responds. God sends an angel with some bread and water and wakes him up and says, Elijah, you got to eat. Don't give up. Don't give up. In fact, let me, let me read this portion to you. In verse 7, it says this. It says, then the angel of the Lord came again and he touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And I love how God provided for Elijah in his lowest moment. Listen to me, some of you that just scored yourself a two, a three, I want you to hear this. I believe that God wants to provide something for you today. I believe that if you will open up your heart, God wants to meet you today. He'll meet you in your desert. He'll meet you in your wilderness. He has provision. He has supply for you that you're going to need. Listen, we might still be walking into another two years of disruption. And I believe these kind of moments are so important because we need something from God. We need something. And so God says you're going to need it for the journey. And I love this. He travels for 40 days to the mountain of God. Why go to the mountain of God? Maybe that was the place he knew where God was. And God spoke to him there in verse 11. God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast of wind that the rocks were torn loose. It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. What Elijah needed in that moment, what God spoke to him was, Elijah, you need to come and stand before me. Elijah, you need to be in my presence. 
And as Elijah's hiding in a cave, three things happened right in a row. Massive windstorm and rocks breaking off on the mountain all around. It says that the Lord wasn't in the wind. It's like, that's weird. You just tell me it's coincidence, maybe. Maybe a big gust of wind came. But then right after that, it says that the earth shook. There's a massive earthquake. Okay, you're telling me that this is coincidence? That the earth shook, but the Lord's not in that? That was just happenstance? I'm having a hard time believing this. Then it says a fire came. Come on, we just saw in the chapter before, God's a God who sent fire. You're telling me that God wasn't in the fire? There's earth, wind, fire, all of these things. And it says the Lord wasn't in them. Now listen to me. I believe the Lord was behind every single one of those things. I don't believe it was a coincidence that the, the earth shook and the windstorm came and the fire fell. These were done by the hand of God. But here's the thing. They did not move Elijah. Let me tell you why I believe this. It's because Elijah already knew the power of God. Elijah had seen God move in power. Elijah had seen the windstorm when he prayed for the rain and a torrential downpour came. Elijah had seen God send fire from heaven. Elijah has seen the power of God. And here's what I've found is that we can actually be a part of a church community and we can believe and we can trust that God is all powerful and God does miracles and we can celebrate the miracles and the stories of life change that God is doing in our church. And still... Struggle to trust him. See, you can believe in your head that God is all powerful and still be depleted and still feel weak and still start to question whether or not God is there. And what I found so amazing about this moment for Elijah is that it wasn't the power of God that moved him, it was the voice of God. It was the moment Elijah heard. God whisper. We don't even know what God said, but it was the voice of God that he heard that moved him. See, I think Elijah, he, he knew that God was the God of heavens and earth. He knew he was the God who could send rain. He knew he was the God of the earth and he could shake the ground. He knew he was a God that could send fire. He knew he was the God of all gods. He knew all of that. What he didn't know is whether or not God was near him. I know you're God out there, but do you know that he's God right here? See, if Christianity to you is a belief system, if it's a religion, if going to church is just a practice that you do so that God would be happy with you because it's the very thing that you're supposed to do if you're going to be a believer in God, if those are the things that you do, can I just tell you that... It doesn't matter what you see, and it doesn't matter what you hear. It's not about this. It's about knowing God is near you in times of disruption that matter most. Elijah wanted to give up. He had seen the power of God. That wasn't it. And I think a lot of people today in their spiritual journey because of disruption, that they might be in a place of saying, oh, I want to give up. And when we give up, we might actually miss out. We miss out on what God wants to do. Do you know I've been pastoring this church for over 19 years since we started it back in 2003. And there are two specific times 
that I've had in those 19 years where I was this close to giving up. I mean, there were hard times, but there were two times that I can remember where I really, I thought I was, I was done. The first time I was ready to quit was about a year and a half after we started the church. It was hard. I was working a full-time job outside of it, trying to learn how to pastor and preach, finishing school. I was tired. I was exhausted. The church wasn't growing like I hoped it was grow- would grow. I look back on it now, and I realize I was, I was out of reserves. And all these emotions started welling up. I remember telling my wife, I said, I said, I don't think I want to keep doing this. And I had my other job, so I could just, I mean, it was probably only 30, 40 of us. I could just I could shut this down, and people could find another place, and I could just go to my job, and I, we tried it, and I just did this. I, I was just in a low place. I was tired. I was depleted. And then one morning after I said those words, I woke up, and I got out of bed, and I looked right to, in front of me on the wall next to my bed, and there was this, this picture, this placard that had been hanging. There are friends. We bought the house from our friends, and it was actually theirs. And we just kept it because we were young and we didn't have any decorations. And so it had been there for over five years, six years. And it was this picture that had a Bible verse on it. And I'd seen that verse thousands of times. But this one time, I heard a whisper when I saw it. It was 1 Corinthians 15, 58. These words, I want to read them to you. This is what God whispered to me in that moment. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And can I just tell you that one moment when I got up that morning... The voice of God whispered to my soul. And he said, Tim, stand firm. Don't give up. I know you've been plowing. I know it's been hard. And I know you're not seeing much of a harvest. And I know that you want to give up. But your labor for the Lord is not in vain. You can't see what's going on. But these seeds and these plow, you keep plowing, keep plowing. And so I didn't quit. And it was hard for many, many, many years and then God began to do things, and there was a breakthrough, and our church began to grow, and we got to see so many people, thousands, give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. And boy, I'm so glad I didn't quit. Glad I didn't quit. I wanted to. The second time that I almost quit was five years ago, almost to this day. After 14 years of ministry, my team said, You need to take a, a break, a sabbatical, an extended break. And so I took a, a break that year in the summer, disconnecting. And about three or four weeks into that break, I broke. I think it was getting out from under the pressure of the weekly and the preaching and the leading. And I remember sitting on my front porch. It was a Sunday morning. My wife came out and I broke down. And I just, I had emotions I had never had before or not to that extent. And they scared me. And I said, 
I said, I, I don't think I want to go back. I said, um, I just, I felt like hopeless and I felt like, you know, the whole thought where your best days are ahead of you, I actually felt like my best days were absolutely behind me. And sitting out there in tears and wanting to give up so badly, I had my computer and decided to log on to a service that a church had in another state. It was Elevation Church, and I was like, oh, I'll just attend online. And while I was there, I'm telling you, there's just, I, I don't, I'm trying to describe the supernatural ability of God to speak in your lowest moments. And that week, the title of the message was Pressure Points. And the pastor spoke from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're not abandoned. That though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And these light and momentary troubles are actually achieving for us a glory that outweighs them all. And he talked about pressure and being under pressure. And all of a sudden it was just like God spoke to me in that moment. It was still hard. And I would love to tell you in that moment, I was like, no, I, I want to come back. But it wasn't like that. But I just know that God used a moment like that. See, it wasn't... I didn't need to see a miracle. I, I didn't need to hear about what God's doing all around. I needed to know that God was with me in that moment. In both of those times, I heard the voice of God through a gentle whisper. And I'm so grateful I didn't give up. Because I would have missed out. Oh, I would have missed out on what God's doing. It reminds me of Galatians 6, 9, the Apostle Paul. He said, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, listen, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't what? Everybody said out loud, if we don't, if we don't give up. If we have resilience in our faith. And here's the truth. God doesn't need me. He could take somebody else in this church and do amazing things. God does not need me. But I was the one who have been able to receive the blessing of what God has allowed me to be part of it because I did not give up when I wanted to give up. I'm the one that's received the blessing because I chose to say, I'm going to stick it through because God, you're with me even if I'm tired, worn out, and depleted. See, I think we need moments. You want to know what will build resilience in your life? Moments in the presence of God where he speaks to you personally. It's not hearing about the power of God. It's experiencing him personally. I'm so blessed that I'm still part of this church. I was blessed this past week as we got to go down with students to Passion Camp. 12, 15 of them have already written stories in of how God moved in their life. Can I just tell you, reading the stories of how, how they had encounters with Jesus that has transformed their faith, that has changed them forever. Can I just tell you, I'm blessed. I'm so glad I didn't quit because if I don't quit, I'm going to get to experience and see all that God does. I'm so grateful that I didn't quit. You know, my prayer is for you. Yeah, we're living in disruption. My prayer is that God will build a resilience in your faith.
by an encounter with him. You know what this encounter did for Elijah? So you don't know what happens. God just tells him, all right, I want you to go to anoint these next kings and I want you to tap on the shoulder of Elisha, this next prophet. And we don't actually, we don't actually get to find out what, what was that moment, what did it do for Elijah until you get to 2 Kings chapter 1. Your homework, you can read 2 Kings chapter 1 on your own. But after King Ahab dies, the next king takes his place. And he's just as wicked as Ahab. And he has an injury and he's afraid he's going to die. And God speaks to Elijah the prophet to send a message to the king to say, yep, you are going to die. You will not recover from this. And the king finds out that it's Elijah. He wants to send men to go arrest Elijah and bring him back. The king sends, listen, this isn't an idle threat. The king sends a captain of his guard and 50 soldiers to arrest Elijah. And here's what it says in 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah sitting up on top of a hill when they all come up and he doesn't run. And they come to surround him. They say, man of God, the king sent us for you. They're going to arrest him, take him back to the king. And Elijah's just sitting there calm. He didn't run. He didn't freak out. He said, if I really am a man of God, fire is going to come down out of heaven and consume you. And immediately fire came from heaven and, and killed them all. That's a gruesome story. I know, I know. The king finds out, sends another captain with another 50 guards. Guess what Elijah is just sitting on the hill. He didn't run. There was something in him. There was something different about Elijah this time. They show up, man of God, come down, the king wants you. If I'm the man of God, he'll send fire from heaven, consume you all. Happened again. King sent another 50 men and the captain of the guard. And that's time the guy begged for their lives. Dear man of God, please don't send fire from heaven, but would you come with us? And God said, go with him. And I found the contrast of one idle threat from a queen who's not even there and he runs for his life. But after he had an encounter with the almighty God, a personal encounter, it developed resilience in him. Listen, you want to know what's going to build calluses in your faith? You want to know what it is? Personal encounters with Jesus. Hearing his voice. It can happen when you get out of bed. It can happen on your front porch. It can happen right now. A personal encounter with him. Come on, won't you stand to your feet? James chapter 1, I'm going to close with this verse, and then we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to build some calluses in our faith today. James chapter 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your what has a chance to grow. Would you say that word? Your, your endurance has a chance to grow. The only way you can build resilience of faith is to go through disruption. Most of us want God to keep us from pain and hardship and disruption. But God knows that you actually have to walk through some things to get some calcium. You're going to have to feel the bar on your hands. And it's going to hurt. And it might rip a little bit. And it might bleed a little bit. But what you don't realize is that God has designed some resilience inside of you. And he wants to build some calluses on your faith today. Come on, would you just close your eyes just for a moment. I believe we're in the presence of God right now. Close your eyes right now in this moment. Father, I pray. God, we come to you right now asking 
for you to show your face to us. God, we know you're a powerful God. God, I I believe there are people right now in this moment that they believe wholeheartedly in you as God and Jesus as our Savior, but maybe have never had a personal experience with you. And I just pray, God, right now, That God, those of us who are depleted, those of us who are at the end of our reserves, those of us, God, who are weary and tired, God, I pray by your spirit right now you would enable us to hear the gentle whisper. The gentle whisper. God, I'm asking right now for a mountaintop experience. A mountaintop experience for us right now in this moment, God. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.